John chapter 15, let's, we'll first look at verses 17 through 20. It says this. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Okay, so, so Jesus uh, repeats right away in verse 17. He repeats his earlier command to his followers that you need to love each other. He's reemphasizing that command. You have to love each other. And this command forms a transition between Jesus's promises to them uh, and, and then into this warning that he has to them as to how the world is going to respond to you following me after I leave. And, and as, we, as, we, as we think about that moment and what we're going to read here and what we're going to unpack, this section of scripture, as he highlights the hate, the persecution that, that Jesus' followers are going to face by the world, uh, it, it really, it, it breaks down three specific reasons why the world uh, as a whole will hate Jesus' followers. And the first it's going to unpack is this. The world hates believers because the world rejects those who aren't a part of it. The second reason is going to be because the world hated Jesus first. So, so there's going to be persecution for Jesus' followers because the world hates Jesus. And then the third reason there's going to be persecution is because the world doesn't know God. So those are kind of the three main things that are going to stand out in verses 17 through 25 here. But, but why don't we just like, uh, address the elephant in the room. Because when we talk about persecution, it, it's awkward. And what makes it awkward, what makes it uncomfortable, and what makes it kind of, for, for some of us, just kind of this distant thing, this thing that kind of maybe in, in the past or, or you know, uh, maybe one of these crazy experiences where maybe you'll experience some persecution, but you guys, the first thing we have to acknowledge and understand is that persecution, when we talk about on a global scale, is very, very real. It's very real. In fact, when, when you think about, there are probably roughly 2.6 to 2.8 billion people on the planet that would say they're a Christian. About one in eight of those people deal on a consistent basis with persecution for their faith. And when I say persecution, I'm talking about persecution for your belief in Jesus. Okay, so let's be clear about what it is and what it isn't. The reason I got to be clear about that is because I'm seeing like no other time people say the word persecution and use it in a variety of contexts when it comes to their faith. Okay, so, so we need to be really clear what it is and what it isn't. Well, I'm being persecuted for this. This happened. This person looked at me. The, the, you know, I, uh, I, I made this decision. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling persecution for this. You guys, one of the things that I'm seeing across our culture right now, especially in the last two years, is we have gone through, we're still in it, a season of incredible political divide, right? I think we can all agree. 
that we've been dealing that we've, with that. We've been working through that, some of us in healthy ways and some of us <laughs> in not healthy ways. And as we've gone through it and, and, and addressed culture and things happening uh, that we land in a variety of positions on, one of the things that I'm seeing a lot is people trying to pull God's word to fit something that fits their agenda or their desired way of life, right? So, so this is what I want. This is where I land on these issues. And, and so what, what I hear being said is uh, if, if culture doesn't fulfill that, I'm being persecuted. If I can't live this way, operate uh, with this kind of freedom or whatever that may be, then I am being persecuted for my faith. And there's been multiple conversations where I've said, listen, this isn't about your faith. This isn't because you're a Jesus follower. So let's be clear. Okay, but that's kind of become this one catch-all basket that anytime something happens and it doesn't go the way we want or align with the comfortability or the lifestyle I want, what do I do? I'm being persecuted for my faith. Man, ah, guys, we're not leaving venue 252, them asking us to leave. I'm not being persecuted. I'm not. It's like, that's dumb. That would be stupid for me to think that. They have welcomed us here for a year, and guess what? They're making money again. There's events going on, right? So it doesn't make sense for them to have us here, okay? There's nothing wrong. They didn't say, we hate what you're preaching. Man, they're not listening to me. Well, some of them are. Some of them are. But because <laughs> they've come up and talked to me because God's used our time here. Guys, that's not persecution. So I don't, I don't go home. I didn't go home after, they, after they're like, hey, you got to be out by the end of the month. I was like, oh, why, God? Oh, look at me suffer for you. No, guys, no. That's become too easy and it's low-hanging fruit. And you know what? In our culture, that's just become, honestly, an excuse that something isn't working in my favor anymore. And we got to guard against that, you guys, because that man, ugh, there's so many times I just want to like grab someone and go, hey, let's take a plane ride. Let's, let's go to another country for a little bit. Because I'll tell you what, when you travel the world and see what's going on in some of these other countries and you read verses like this, guess what happens? They come alive and, and, and you realize, oh my goodness, one, me just living here, I am so blessed from a religious standpoint. And guys, scripture is not going to promise you when it comes to just your religious freedom. I'm, ooh, don't read this. The only freedom that it's going to promise you is freedom in Christ. That's what it promises you. Okay? The other stuff is like written from prison, written from prison, written from, like, <laughs> that's kind of what you signed up for. And here we are, and Jesus is like, this is what's going to happen. Okay? And, and, and so, here we are. But guys, let's, just, let's understand that when we talk about this and when, 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 when we come together, and like I said, it's a conflict for me because I get it. We're not, we're not feeling this like Christians are around the world. And so as I was preparing for this, what helped me is I just went back. 
read journals, uh, went back to mental images and moments in my life where I've gone to some of these countries where Christians really are persecuted, where I was told you shouldn't go there, it's not safe, uh, this is not a place Americans should be, and definitely not Jesus followers. And, and, and as I've been into some of these countries, I've had literally armed guards like there to protect me and other people as we're there because we're Christians, because we're there to promote Jesus and teach Jesus. Guys, I've been with pastors. I've seen physical scars on their bodies for the name of Jesus. It's because they're going to follow him regardless. We're talking scars. We're talking limbs missing on their body. Stuff that you and I can't even comprehend. I've been in holding cells. I've been in prisons that I, I just wish we could go and I could just take you there just to see as there's people literally sitting right next to each other in massive rooms, there's holes in the ground. That's their, that's their bathroom. And, and they're there. And, and many of them, they've been there for a year plus. They haven't been on trial yet. They are innocent. And they're there because they made a decision to follow Jesus in a country where that's not okay. And maybe it was even their family member that turned them in. Could have been their spouse, their kids, their parents. And there they are. And they're innocent. Guys, many of these countries, your religious identity is tied to your national identity. And it's a huge deal if you're going to receive Jesus. Estimates uh, by Christian research groups put the annual number of Christians killed as a result of their faith as high as 8,000 a year. Uh, it's reported that anywhere from 100 to, to literally 300 million Christians experience persecution for their faith yearly. And around the globe, just in, in, in the 50 most persecuted uh, countries uh, for Jesus followers, uh, churches and Christian buildings there, over 4,000 have already in this year been attacked in some way. So here we are. We've got thousands of Christians detained for their faith, arrested, sentenced. North Korea alone, 50 to 70,000 Christians are being held in prison camps. So guys, when we read these verses here, don't allow where you live, what you've experienced, the convenience you've had in going to church and, and, and living in a society for that, that for the most part is gonna encourage it. Don't let that distract you from the reality that this is happening to the same degree it was back then. And if you question that, Take a visit to Burkina Faso to the pastor's training school that we financially support and talk to them. Though them that have seen their churches burnt down, that have fleed for their lives, that have had friends killed for their faith. Now, let's unpack this. Why, why is this so? Why are Christians persecuted? Why is Jesus saying this? Well, he answers our questions. He's once again, been preparing for them, his closest followers for life without him, where he's not going to be with them in the flesh. He's going to heaven, and he's been focused on uh, teaching them and, and, and helping to form in their minds and in their hearts what this new community is that he's called them to be, which is the church, and how that community is going to be defined and recognized for their love for each other, their obedience to God's word, and by their joy. And so now he turns their attention to how the world's going to respond 
to them, this new community, the church. And what he kicks us off with in verse 18 is, listen, if you're following Jesus, hatred from the world is a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Now, when we say the word world, and obviously I'm using it in a negative way, what do I mean? Now, we've unpacked this a few times throughout the Gospel of John as we've gone through it, but when we talk about the world in a negative sense, he's not talking about just the planet. He's talking about all people who have embraced this anti-God world system controlled by Satan. Okay, so let's, 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 let's all agree on something, okay? One, we were all born into sin, okay? Every, everyone agrees uh, that there are things that, that they want to do that aren't good that are in them, that we struggle with. So we're all born into sin. Now, uh, apart from Jesus saving us out of that, what, what is sin? It's, it's, it's literally operating in rebellion to God, right? So, so it's, it's essentially saying, I know you're asking me to do this. You want me to do this. I'm not gonna do what you want me to do. Okay, so I'm rebelling against him. So left to my state before Jesus, okay, I was in this place of rebellion against him. And so when you think about the world, the world is made up uh, predominantly of people who have not received Jesus as Lord and Savior, and the world is being influenced by who? Satan, right? The Halloween answer. So Satan, he is influencing the world, okay? And he is in opposition to God. And so everything he is going to try and do to influence the world, to influence people, is to go in opposition to God. And so, of course, what is he going to target? The people of God. Okay, so, so, so here's where we are. In 1 Peter 5, 8, uh, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking lion, <laughs> seeking someone to devour. Okay, so that's what he's about. That's what he's trying to do. And so um, if the world's ruler, Satan, hates believers, the world is also going to hate believers, right? Because they're being influenced by him. Before Jesus, he's the one who was influencing me. And so out of that influence, I am going to be uh, literally programmed to be in opposition to the work of God. Okay, so that's, that's when we talk about the world. And so one of the things is Jesus is saying, listen, you guys, don't be surprised you cannot be surprised by the world's hostility towards you because what is he saying? It hated me first. <laughs> if I'm hated, you following me are going to be hated. And, and they're sitting there going, yeah, you're hated. It's like the gospel of John, as we've gone through it, we've seen a lot of people hate Jesus in spite of what he's done. And literally hours from now, from him saying this, he is going to be arrested. He's going to be tried for a crime that he didn't commit. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be spit upon. He's going to be executed as a criminal. The world hated him. Now, why? 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 Well, one of the things that we see and we, we can look at throughout the life of Jesus is 
When someone follows Jesus, and I want to be really careful how I say this, because a lot of times when you hear what I'm about to say, you think the loudest person in the room, the one that posts the most, uh, the one that's, that's the most like, I'm a Christian, whether, like, that's what we go to. But that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about how you live your life. And if you live your life in the pursuit of Jesus, What's going to happen as a result of that is it's going to highlight what's wrong with the world's life. And it's going to make the world angry at some point, right? How Jesus lived angered them. He has less than me. He's happier than me. There's there's things happening through him. His followers, they're happy. They have a peace and and, and, and all of that. And and yet the very people, the religious people who should have had all of that, not only do they not have that, so they're jealous, um, but they're also being confronted with what? By his life. The reality that there are issues in their heart. Things aren't right. Things are actually wrong. They're being confronted with their sin. And so uh, he's, he's literally, uh, to illustrate this principle, there's, there's a story that in, in the book of, uh, in, in 1 John, he illustrates and uses this story as an illustration to unpack this principle. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, he, he literally talks about the first murder in Scripture. And the first murder, uh, way back in the Old Testament, was Cain murdering his brother Abel. Okay, um, and 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 the setting is is literally they both were going and 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 responding in worship to God, and God received uh, Abel's worship, did not receive Cain's. Cain sees that. Okay, Cain's offering wasn't pleasing to the Lord. Abel's was. And, and, and this is the example in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. It says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. He was confronted with the evil inside of him, and he saw the righteousness in his brother, and he could not handle that guilty conscience. Guys, a guilty conscience will wreck you. It will wreck you if it's unaddressed. And, and, and so this takes people to a place of anger. Now, so, so there is a rejection because, because you represent something that's different than me and you're happier than me and, and, and I don't like it. So there's anger towards that. But then on the other hand, here's the other piece to this. The world will applaud and reward those who are like it, who align with it. Okay, so so we see this in Scripture. In fact, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 32, it says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Okay, so, so they know it's wrong. These are people that know this is wrong. It's in opposition to God, but not only are they okay with themselves doing it, but what are they doing? They're applauding and approving other people of doing the same thing. Guys, that's our world. That's culture. That's the culture we live in. You will literally be rewarded for not following Jesus. 
You will be promoted. You will be uh, literally uh, applauded. You will gain more followers. You will be more attractive to people. Uh, All these things may happen in your life as you choose to not follow Jesus. Boy, that's a backward sounding message, isn't it? Right? Like, all right, I just, I won't follow him (laughs) because. Guys, if, if Jesus is saying, if you were of the world, the world would love you because it loves its own. And Christians aren't part of the world. Why? Because Jesus chose us out of the world. He chose us, it says, for himself. And when he called us to himself, he called us from something. He called us from rebellion to be a part of his family. He made us a part of a new people, a unique people. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the church, look at how the church is described. It says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Whoo, that's a good verse. That's a circle, that's a highlight, that's a double tap. You want to keep that one. That's our purpose. He set us aside. He's called us into this unique people group, this people for himself, his own family. Now, here's where we struggle. And I'll I'll say this. This really does connect to us, our culture, to you and to me, right? This is where it hurts. We all have a struggle with this. We desire to fit in, don't we? Probably like no other culture, no other nation that I can think of, we have a desire to fit in. And I want to speak directly to those of you that would say, I'm a Jesus follower, okay? Because that's who he's addressing here. We say we follow Jesus, and yet what's our struggle? Our struggle is we continually find ourselves wanting to be accepted right? We want to fit in. We want to be loved. We want to be loved by everybody. I think if I asked, how many of you want to be loved by everybody? I think all of you would raise your hands, right? Okay, maybe a few of you would be like, no, I don't like them. But like, for the most part, we'd all go, yeah, I want to be loved, right? If I said, how many of you want to be respected by the world? You'd probably be like, yeah, I want, I want to be respected, And I'm not saying you shouldn't want that. I'm not saying you shouldn't desire to be loved. But you guys, there is a dangerous bend that I'm seeing in our culture, in particular with Jesus followers, where we are prioritizing fitting in. We are prioritizing the love from the world and the respect we can get from them. And we're actually prioritizing that over following Jesus. And, and, and we're seeing this. We're, we're seeing it in our churches. And, and, and guys, it, it's happening on a, on a daily level where, and, and, and part of it, let's be honest, part of it is we're reacting to people that have been a horrible example of Christ. Amen? Right? So some of us, we literally feel like, I have to, they have this opinion of this because they went to that church. I have, they have this opinion because of that person, because of that uh, that post, uh, that article, that representation, that person that represented this people group. And so they have this sour taste in their mouth of Christianity. So it's on me to represent how 
cool Christianity is, right? It's not like that. You can be cool. Look at me, I'm normal, right? And, and you may not verbalize that, but you are thinking it. You get up and you're like, how do I dress cool and not like a Christian? Whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. I'm gonna dress like a Christian today. You know, I don't know. I've never had that thought in my life. Uh, so if you do, you should let us know what that means. But, but we think about it, don't we? We're like, ah, I don't wanna be too Christian. I, w- I, wanna, I wanna represent that you can be cool, right? And, and if I'm cool enough, accepted enough, then all of a sudden, I'm gonna go, I'm a Christian. And they're gonna go, oh, really? I want that, because you're so cool. You are so normal. You're just like me. We think that way, you guys. I know pastors that think that way. Man, when I, I've said this before. When I decided to become a pastor, I was like, to death with being cool now. That's out the window. I see how this is leading, right? That's, that's the reality. But, but we're, like, we're like, no, I, I, wanna, I, I can fix this. I can be cool enough. I can make them like me. And then just like James Bond, I'm like, ha-ha, I'm a Christian. Gotcha. Like, now you want to receive Jesus. And they're like, no, but we can hang out still, right? Um, and, 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 so, and so, you guys, I, I feel like one of the dangers for us is we feel like we have to be the poster child that it's not this crazy extreme example of a person that is posting these crazy things on social media out there uh, with this massive sign that is just so derogatory uh, and, and literally divides people in half, and they're making a living doing that, and you're like, it's my, it's my burden to fix that perception. No, your job is to follow Jesus. That's your job. That's my job, okay? My job is to follow Jesus. And, 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 and here's, here's the reality. If my job ceases to be to follow Jesus, and as a Christian, I'm like, no, I wanna try and fit in. I wanna try and uh, be accepted in all the different people groups. And let me tell you, this is a danger in our churches right now. Uh, you guys, we're seeing left and right. Theological liberalism just infiltrating people into the church and all of that. Why is that? Why is that? Are they evil people? No, it's just people that wanted to be more accepting. Right? It's people that just said, oh, I know the Bible says this, but it's okay because we want to be cool. So let's keep it right here. And there's so many people that have walked away from Jesus because of that. They started down that path, and it's a slippery slope, right? And then all of a sudden, you're denying certain things that are literally cornerstones of the gospel. Guys, he called us out. He called us out of that. Why did he call us out? What have we been talking about? You're like, I'm brand new. I don't know. Well, we've been talking about the fruit of the spirit. You guys, he set us aside and called us out so that we could bear fruit that would be so different than the world's fruit, the things coming out of their lives, that they would see that and be confronted with the reality there's something noticeably different about how they live. There's something totally different about the love they have 
the peace they have, uh, the hope that they have. Uh, there's, there's, there's just something different. And, and so you guys, uh, when, when you think about what he set us aside for, fitting into the world is the exact opposite of why Jesus chose us. You guys, if fitting into the world was the goal, Jesus didn't need to do anything. We already had that down. Right? So, so why did he do what he did? Guys, the purpose of salvation is an identity exchange. It's a rescue of your identity. It's an exchange of your purpose. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 that I read earlier, he goes on to say, I hope you didn't miss it, the, the, that the uniqueness that we have, it serves one purpose. And he said this, I'll read it again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, here it is, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's our purpose. So, so, so when you look at the difference though, and this is what's really important, the difference he's talking about is not just this exter external difference, right? Uh, I talked about, for some of us, that, like when to dress as a Christian, like, like whatever that means, um, a lot of times we take this and we go, so how do I look the part, right? How do I look the part? And, and so we'll, we'll take these words and, and, and we'll go, okay, to follow Jesus, I have to look a certain way. Uh, I have to, you know, once again, I got, I got to get the shirt that says Jesus saves in bold red for blood and I got to rock it. I got to wear it, okay, because that's what it means, and, 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 so, and so we're consumed with looking this way externally, but that's not what he's talking about. If it was all about how you look externally, the Amish win, hands down. Okay? You can't compete with that. So, so that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something way greater, way different, right? He's talking about a different kind of fruit that our lives produce. And I can't stress this enough because we seem to be so fixated on what's not coming out of our life, on us not doing this, not looking like them. We're not about that. And yet what he's saying characterize you, the difference isn't what your life doesn't produce. The difference is in what your life does produce. It's a mindset shift. So now I'm not walling myself up Going, well, I don't, I, I don't do that. I don't look like that. I don't say that. Now I'm not fixated on that, which like I said, just will take you back and back into isolation. It will disconnect you. What he's saying is you focus on what is actually coming out of your life. Guys, that's a difference. That's what we need to hear. Not how good are you at, at looking different, but what's actually, what's the fruit that's coming out of your life? That's what the world needs to see. That's the statement. Jesus' words that he'd earlier said to his disciples, he, he, he reiterated, he, he said, a slave is not greater than his master. And he's referring to his statement in uh, chapter 13, verse 16, when he uh, was washing their feet. And, and, and he was using the example of, of literally, hey, just as I'm humbly washing your feet, you are to humbly serve each other and other People And so here he's using that same phrase to communicate to his disciples that they should expect to follow his example in suffering. In suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. 
Jesus is saying, if they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. Where did Jesus go? What are we, where are we called to follow him to? Well, the cross. And here's something that I wanna encourage us all with as well, because this is really helpful for us to remember. He's the ultimate target of the opposition. You and I aren't. See, there's an interesting situation in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel, um, they, they approach the prophet Samuel. Now, the situation there is, is pretty, pretty amazing. They've got God, and then they have God's mouthpiece, Samuel, communicating the will of God, the direction, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, all of that. Pretty, pretty ideal setup, okay? And, and so that's, that's their setting. That's their situation. And so they, they approach Samuel, and they say, listen, the other nations, the other people groups, they have a king. We don't. You're not a king. We want a king. And so, and so Samuel uh, is, is discouraged. He's frustrated. He understands what they have, how amazing that is. And, 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 and also as well, like his pride's hurt, right? You're not a king. I'm the mouthpiece of God. What do you want? Well, you're not, you're not what we want. And so he brings the people's request to God. And we see God actually encourage him in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. It says, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. He says, listen, you don't take this personal. They're choosing to reject me. Guys, when the world hurts, imprisons, kills Christians, it's about Jesus. He's their target, but they don't know how to reach him. So they're going to go after you. They're going to go after us. We see in the New Testament, several apostles are arrested in Jerusalem for preaching about Jesus. And, uh, and when they're brought before the ruling council, they, they continue to talk about Jesus. And the religious leaders that are there, it talks about how they wanted to, to kill them, um, but they're talked into letting them go. And in Acts chapter 5, and, and Peter's one of the apostles here, in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41, it says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You guys, their problem wasn't with the apostles, was it? They beat the apostles because they hated Jesus and the apostles were followers of Jesus. And the apostles understood that's the name we're being persecuted for and it was an honor for them to be beaten uh, because of the name of Jesus. And guys, this isn't all just like negative here. He closed verse 20. What, what, what did he say there uh, towards the end? He says, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So he's saying, hey, listen, it's not just going to be all negative. Just as some receive me, there's going to be some that receive you. So be encouraged, be faithful in the message. And then in verses 21 through 25, we close with this. It says, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. 
Jesus says, once again, the world uh, is gonna hate you on account of my name. It's gonna, it's gonna come for you if you're gonna follow me. You follow me, they're gonna hate you because you're gonna live for me. And, and, and I just got to believe for a lot of us, we haven't experienced opposition. And, and it's not just because of where we live, you guys. I, I think that's a piece that we haven't experienced it on the surface. I think there's a lot more opposition under the surface that we're dealing with that we're ignoring. But when we talk about on the surface level, the interactions, the people, our coworkers, uh, um, people that we're in school with, our roommates, our family members, you know, I, I, I think for a lot of us, here's the reality. We're checking off Christian boxes, but we're not actually following Jesus. At, at some point, you got to throw away the excuse that, well, I live here, right? And at some point, you got to go. So is he just not asking you at all into sharing your faith? Is he not at all asking you to take a step of faith? Is he not at all saying, I want you to have this conversation with this person that you just randomly sat down on a bus next to? Is he not at all going to say, hey, you need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you when they're gonna ask you about this? And yeah, it's not gonna be culturally hot. Your take on the matter isn't gonna align with what the world says you should be about and, and you're gonna need to respond. Like, uh, yeah. so, so in those moments, we have a choice, right? We have a choice. For some of you, he's gonna say, move. You're like, uh-uh, you see my house. You see the market, I ain't moving, right? But he does that. He's done it to me, I don't know how many times. And, and, and so he's still moving, he's still calling us, he's still inviting us into following him. And yet, you guys, I'm telling you right now, you're not gonna feel opposition if you're denying following him. You know why? Because... The world is only going to oppose people that follow Jesus. The world doesn't hate undercover Christians. They embrace them. And here's the thing I want to also guard against with this. And I know this is the tension and, and I feel it. We cannot, if we're Jesus follower, make the world's hatred a trophy to be won and to be showcased. Are you hearing me? Online, respond. Guys, being the loudest, we'll just say it, being the loudest jerk, being the loudest voice that's the most divisive, that's, that's the most upfront, um, that's not what we're talking about. You're creating that opposition. People's opposition, you're, you're what they're thinking about. They're not thinking about Jesus. If, if you get up at Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's coming up, and, and your whole family, none of them want to follow Jesus. And, you, and you're a Jesus follower. And you get up and you say, listen, I know you all hate God. Well, I love him. And I'm going to pray right now. And every single one of you, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Guess what? You're going to get some looks. But guess what? Their anger is going to be at you. Like, what are you doing? Right? You're, you, you, so, so we have to understand and know that there is a difference between fruit that reflects and represents and points to Jesus and fruit out of my life that points to me. And so when it talks about opposition from the world, don't sit there and go, well, look at how much my boss hates me. No, your boss hates you right now because of how you're acting. And you're just tying Christ's name to it. Your family doesn't like you right now. I wish it was because of Jesus, but it's not. 
It's for other reasons. And so I think the temptation for some of us is anytime someone doesn't like us, looks at us funny, uh, we just go, oh, it's a Christian thing. No, it's not. And so we have to know that, that, that when we talk about this, it's not something we actively seek out. But if we are following Jesus, it will happen. People will respond negatively to it because the world hates them because all people are born into a sinful nature and you were born into a sinful nature and you struggle falling back into that. And so why in the world do you think the world's not gonna struggle with it? And why in the world do we keep thinking that non-Christians are gonna act and behave like Christians? Right, what's wrong with them? Why don't they agree with me? Why don't they think like I think? Well, they, they, they don't follow Jesus. You do. That's a big difference. Okay, anytime we forget that, we've forgotten the condition of our culture. And then lastly, Jesus highlights the amazing things he's done. He says, listen, they hated me and I've revealed myself in a multitude, multiple ways. I've, I've, I've declared who I am verbally, my acts, my miracles. They, they testified to who I am. And yet this was completely rejected. And he talks about how even this was fulfilling the sovereign plan of God because he, he talks about how, um, and, he, and he uses verses here that he's fulfilling out of Psalms that talk about literally being hated and condemned without cause. And that was Jesus's life. That was Jesus's life. And he says, ultimately, this is what it points to you guys. They don't know God. They don't know God. They don't know God. All throughout the book of John, he was reminding them, you don't know me, you don't know the Father. You don't know me, you don't know the Father. If only you had known me, you'd know the Father. But ultimately, they didn't know the Father. And so, guys, I, as I encourage you to be faithful, to, to follow Jesus, to examine the fruit that's coming out of your life, and to know that there is going to be opposition to that, I want to encourage you with, some, with, first, the response that we see historically with Jesus' followers. And it was represented by Jesus on the cross. In Luke 23, 34, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Okay, that's the heart. That's our response. When you're tempted to be the loudest person in the room, to respond with anger, you remember what Jesus said on the cross. If anybody had a right to lose their mind on some people and unleash some wrath, it was Jesus. But on the cross, in that moment, a moment that still angers you and me, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And that's mercy, and that's love, and that's our response. Amen? And then the opposition is our comfort, actually. In Matthew chapter five, verses 10 through 12, it says this, and I know I've been preaching forever, but let's just read it. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Be at peace. There is an incredible eternal reward awaiting those of us who will follow him. And I'll tell you what, as you experience that opposition, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Amen?